Mazzani, and I'm excited to be here today with the Chief Product Officer of OpenStream AI, a former Gartner analyst and AI mastermind. Welcome to the show, Magnus Ravain. Thank you, and thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's exciting. Yes. So can you share a little bit about your company and what services do you provide? So OpenStream AI, uh, we offer a conversational AI platform, uh, which, uh, you know, some would say, ah, oh, just chatbots, but uh, we are rated as one of the most visionary uh, platforms out there uh, because we solve things differently. Uh, where others require you to design a conversation explicitly. So basically you have AI that, you know, takes you into the right place in a scripted conversation. We require you to model a domain and then the conversation naturally emerges from that modeling. So one of the reasons, you know, I'm excited for that is that I never see conversational designers when I talk to insurance companies, banks, uh, large government uh, organizations, um, which you need to design something explicitly, right? But I see they have thousands of business analysts, which is what we require to model the domain so, so complex um, conversation emerge directly. Uh, and doing this, of course, we, we use large language models, we use generative AI, we use symbolic AI, um, and backed by uh, a quite amazing portfolio of patents and research papers that uh, we've been uh, publishing for quite some time. Uh, if, if you have a very, very hard conversational AI problem, then we're basically the most likely to be able to solve it. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. Well, that brings us to our topic today, which is AI and how to harness this technology. I know many business leaders are focused on digital transformation initiatives, and one big one is how to harness this AI. So you've been studying AI technology for many years, and as a former Gartner analyst, you can provide some detail about where are you seeing companies utilizing AI the most? How can it be effective in uh, digital transformation initiatives? Well, um, I think there's many, many ways to use AI uh, in an organization. I mean, I, I spent an afternoon just noting down the immediate use cases for, you know, large instruction following large language models. And I had a 140 uh, when I was finished, right? And, you know, in, in the case of generative AI, which is kind of all the hype at the moment, uh, the use cases are primarily that viable is primarily employee productivity and employee facing uh, applications because, because of hallucinations and tendency to be amazing 95% of the time and totally confidently wrong 5% of the time, uh, you need that human filter <laughs> uh, to to make sure that it, it doesn't hit the clients. Uh, when it comes to conversational AI that we do, the main use case is every place you have a dialogue or a conversation. Things like customer service call centers, 
or inside of mobile apps. Also, employee productivity is like on-device um, employee helpers uh, in field work and, and different things. So the, the main thing is that since there is so many use cases, what you have to look for is what problem do I need to solve? And then is AI an appropriate way to solve it? Because it's, you know, not always. We'd like AI to solve everything, but, but you know, there, there is, uh, especially when things are, are hype, like with large language models today, using it for the wrong things is quite possible as well. Right. right. So. Right. So yeah. let's talk about generative AI specifically then. There, there has been a lot of news about chat mm-hmm. GPT. Can you provide us with your thoughts on ChatGPT and the underlying technology of generative AI? Do you have some specific use cases you might be able to talk about? Yes, uh, I think uh, when it comes to generative AI and ChatGPT in particular, it, it was in fact a defining moment in in AI development, but not. You know, I, I don't see it mentioned often. Some do, but 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 I, I don't see it in in mass media. What I believe is the reason for it, uh, and the reason is what I call uh, instruction following AI. So so the main difference between let's say GPT three, right, which was out for 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 year year and a half uh, before ChatGPT, and ChatGPT is that GPT three is a next word predictor and you put the text and you predict the next word right now chat gpt took that uh, actually work done in instruct gpt uh, gpt and they tuned the output for what the preference of humans are uh, when giving instructions so suddenly the output was able to follow quite complex instructions that you give it and is able to do it. And that instruction following paradigm is extremely, extremely powerful, right? Because where you might at, at Google have searched for what's the best way of writing a product strategy, you know, you go to ChatGPT and go, here's my notes from the product strategy meeting. Can you make a formal strategy document? And then all the notes and you get a draft document back. And then you can iterate on that. Uh, and that ability, the power uh, is the main difference. Uh, and it's also now used in images and used in things like this. But it's not conversational. Instructional AI and conversational AI is different, right? Because when you ask ChatGPT or let's say, let's make another generative AI example. Let's do uh, an image generated, right? And you instruct it in a way and say, hey, give me a photograph of a doctor. Right. In most cases, that photograph is going to be male because it follows the instruction. Statistically, it does that because the image material it's been trained on has more males. Now, if it does, say, give me a female doctor, well, a female white doctor comes, right? And then you have to kind of specify more and more. Uh, in conversational AI, it would turn around and ask you a question. Oh, do you want a male or female doctor? H- how do you want it? It's a collaborative effort. Now, in instructional AI, you're only as good as the instruction because it doesn't turn around and ask a clarifying question. It does best within its ability 
to do it. So both can live side by side, right? And and they actually benefit greatly from each other because the conversational AI can give instructions to the generative AI to generate things, right? So, so we, we use a system where uh, a very explainable and transparent system decides what we're going to say, but then a large language model instructed in uh, the brand voice and the personality traits of the the user they're talking to paraphrase that so it decides how to say it right so, so, so you, you can you can create systems in more advanced settings where you leverage the best of two worlds right but when it comes to generative ai um it's a linear development the instruction following part of it was the paradigm change and i think we've only seen you know, the beginnings of where that will, that will end. Thank you for clarifying the conversational AI versus the generative AI. I think that's important. So how can enterprises benefit from deploying the conversational AI? Can you give some use cases with some specific clients? Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing is, of course, um, customer service. Uh, we have big insurance companies as clients, for example, right? So claims process is is a thing that is is quite a good use case for for conversational ai you also have almost everything in customer service gives gives itself up for for conversational ai as, as a great technology but you can go to other things as well uh, inside of organizations uh, you have the it service desk right inside of organization you also have the hr and those are, are great use cases because you spend a lot of time, you know, anybody can answer questions, but actually guiding people through business processes is a great use case for for advanced conversational AI, I should say. You know, when it goes to more um, special use cases, we are one of the very, very few vendors that can work on device. Uh, so if you're in more extreme working situations, like in a hospital with lots of instruments, uh, you're not, you don't always have bandwidth uh, in the next door room to an X-ray machine or an MRI machine, right? Or if you are a highway trooper in rural US, you might not have the best uh, coverage if you're uh, in the border regions, uh, in the military doing translations uh, and stuff like that. It's very hard. You can benefit a lot from conversational AI because you need either information or you need something done by a, a, a virtual assistant that you can carry in your pocket at, at that moment. So so I, I do think that, that there is some very interesting use cases uh, there as well. So for business leaders that are looking to digitally transform, I know that cost is a factor. Uh, there's issues with um, bias that you brought up with AI. So when they're looking at what tools are going to be the best to try to harness for their digital transformation initiatives, a lot of people think AI is just a big bubble that's going to burst soon. Like it's just the latest, greatest technology. It came on the market rapidly and everybody's rushing on this AI race, but it's just going to suddenly fizzle out. So what is your opinion on AI technology in the industry and how is it going to take shape over the next few years? 
you know, we've been through uh, some AI winters before, right? Um, so, so I understand the skepticism. Uh, but again, back to the instruction following. Uh, there was uh, some early research papers on employee productivity showing a 54% productivity increase on document creation. Uh, and at the same time, there was an increase in quality. When was the last time we had a technology that increased productivity in a task over 50% and also the quality, right? It is something that's going to impact all over the place. But usually psychology and uh, adaptability and the, the good ideas of how to use it and the user interfaces to make it easy and stuff like that takes time to develop. So, so people think, you know, the technology is here, we can start using it at once. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the internet, when it came back in, in 1992, for those who were early, uh, right, with the Mosaic uh, browser, uh, and look at the internet now, right, uh, it's, it's quite different. Uh, it, it's 30 years of development. Um, and, uh, that will, that will happen as well. Yet we don't buy everything online, even though we buy a lot online. We don't buy everything online yet, right? Uh, so still, you have to give technology like this time so that, but it will seep into every single place that we do business. And of course, the most important thing then for a business leader is to experiment, right? Uh, have people that know how to do this. Have vendors that don't only try to sell a single AI thing that they build everything around, but actually, you know, work with AI first companies, companies that, that really push the boundary of what's possible. And we apologize if there's a task that uh, the AI can't solve, right? It's like we're going all in. So, so, so the, the, the main thing here is that there's so much around this technology and, and the main indicator to me that it's not going into an AI winter this time uh, is that the, the, the change, this instruction following change is a democratization of how to use AI, right? So, so, so I was on the internet before 1992. Right. Uh, so it was Ernet, ARPANET, FIDONET, you know, stuff like that. I used Gopher, FTP, a VT100 terminal, command line. Uh, and of course, I, I was raving about this amazing internet. Nobody understood it. Right. Nobody understood it. Then came the Mosaic browser and everybody said, wow, the internet. And I was like, what I've been telling you for three years. <laughs> Uh, so, so it's the same thing here, right? It's this democratization of availability. But, you know, to, uh, how many hours do we spend on the internet today, you know, per day? It, it's, it's, most of us are sh ashamed uh, to say how, how much, right? I can promise you, even the super users didn't spend that much time on the Mosaic browser back in 1992, right? Uh, so, so the things has to evolve. Um, but but that's the surest kind of indication I have that that yeah we're in for a little bit of a revolution. It really does seem to have opened doors to many more people. So, what is one key takeaway that you would like our audience to come away with today? Well, the uh, you know the, the the key takeaway I think. Uh, which is, I always look to the future, uh, you know, um, and say, what's the, 
when everybody's now on this fad, I'm on the next one and going, what will be the next big thing? Um, and uh, there is no doubt that generative AI and even instruction following AI uh, has a, a pretty big strengths column when you look at, you know, but but there is weaknesses. And then you take uh, another old AI technology like symbolic AI, the planners and the reasoners and, and, and the logic systems uh, that we have. And you see the strengths and weaknesses of that. And you could shift the columns, right? The strengths of LLMs is the, weakness, uh, is, the, is the weaknesses of symbolic AI. And the strength of symbolic AI is the weakness of LLMs, right? So, uh, so, so it's not hard to figure out that, well, you know, if I could use both approaches together, uh, you know, I could eliminate the weakness column on both of them. But the magic is to figure out how do I, or, or how do I transfer from one to the other and back again? Right. Uh, so, so my uh, focus is, uh, is purely on, on the neurosymbolic, um, uh, AI, which is the combination of, of two major schools of thought. Uh, and, uh, that is where I think, um, uh, the, the next, uh, big revelations are going to come from. Um, How to blend all this technology to work together. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, uh, humans have many, many different cognitive strategies that ultimately uh, exerts our intelligence. Uh, we have a tendency to make machines really smart at one thing. Uh, and the machine brute forces the uh, the human, <laughs> excuse me. So, for example, in chess, right? Uh, in in chess, you can you can brute force over a human. A human can't compute as much as a chess computer. Uh, and and if you're going to beat the uh, you know the best in the world, my my namesake uh, Magnus Carlsen, uh, you you need a supercomputer to do so, and he only uses sixty watts in his brain. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, and, and, but still, you, you need so much computing power, but we have that. We have the ability to be many times better th than a human because we can brute force. Same thing. We can do math be better than a human. So we can do GPS systems and, you know, uh, advanced uh, defense and, and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Now we have another thing that's probably much better at humans at guessing the next word in the sequence that you will like. Uh, but that doesn't make it intelligent, right? It, it doesn't make it um, able to reason or plan or, or things like that. That's where you have to combine multiple technologies together, just like humans have multiple cognitive strategies. We need to combine multiple cognitive strategies in the same system and figure out what's that executive function that's going to decide what cognitive strategy to to use for what problem uh, and that's the executive function is where I it's what I want to build <laughs> absolutely well I want to thank you so much for coming on our show today and sharing your insights with us on AI it's an incredible technology and I'm interested to see where the future leads with this oh I'm too and uh Thanks for having me. Um, it was really enjoyable.
Até aqui. Até aqui.